There are th three or four more lessons in this book, but I'm going to finish with the current lesson because he goes back into some other some other um, things to look at as far as how do you deal with resistance to change the boundaries? How do you deal with um, problems that arise as you start boundaries? Um, I would encourage you to read those. I was looking through them and reading it as, as a wrap-up, and there's some good stuff in there to kind of help you problem-solve. But I thought this was a good place to end the study on Lesson 13, Boundaries and God. We've kind of come all the way from um, boundaries in our spouse, boundaries in our family, boundaries in our friends, and boundaries in ourselves. And this last one's going to be talking about boundaries and God and looking at his boundaries versus our boundaries. Alrighty. The Bible is a living book about relationships. It's about relationships of God to people, people to God, and people to each other. I'm not sure if you've ever stopped to think about the Bible in that way, but it is a book about real relationships, about God and different people, and the way that they approached God, the way they approached his creation, and the way that he approached them then in retrospect. Originally, if we go back to Genesis like we did in the early chapters, he had originally planned that there would be a harmonious relationship, but sin came into the world and disrupted that. The rest of the Bible then is about restoring and healing those relationships, the one that he originally created. So it's a living book, and it's about relationships and how that God will go through a number of different channels to try to reach us, but ultimately he still respects our boundaries and lets us say no if we don't want to. God is focused on healing the broken relationships with man that resulted from the fall of man in the garden. If you look through scriptures, even in the Old Testament, as he gave the law, he was trying to help them to understand there's going to be structure, there needs to be structure, or there's going to be devastation. When you look at right before the flood, what was going on, when you look at uh, right prior to the Tower of Babel, when you look at the different things throughout life, when man was kind of um, setting himself up as God in the sense of doing his own thing whenever he wanted to and however he wanted to, God ended up having to bring judgment because it was gone too far the wrong way. Um, there was chaos. There was devastation. Some would say we're heading that way pretty quickly now. Uh, when you see what's gone over and on and over in Syria and Egypt and the Middle East, there's, there's a lot of questions about how much more chaotic can it get. Um, you know, there's a lot of theories about that. God, as our Redeemer, seeks to save, find, save, and heal his loved ones who are lost and in bondage. God, our Redeemer, seeks to save, seeks to find, save, and heal his, that should be his, loved ones who are lost and in bondage. What's he talking about bondage? The bondage he is talking about is sin. Until, man, until man's eyes are opened or until a man understands God's plan, he is in bondage to his own desires. He is in bondage to his, uh, what he wants, his cravings, his, his fleshly desires. Um, until God comes into the picture and through his Holy Spirit in their lives, he breaks that bondage, and he restores, he redeems them, and that is the whole message of the cross. All of Scripture communicates a message of love. All of Scripture communicates a message of love. Love God and love yourself as your neighbor. 
if you go through all of the New Testament and you just kind of think back over all the Old Testament chapters that you've talked about, always at the core of the message is God is trying to get them, uh, human beings to realize that he loves them and that he cannot tolerate sin and that he is drawing them to him. They have a choice, though. So the message all throughout the Bible is that of redeeming salvation, and that redeeming salvation comes through Christ. Loving God and our neighbors is difficult because of boundary problems, which are essentially problems of responsibility. Now, if you go back up to the other slide that we were talking about where we said about being in bondage and God seeks to save us and heal us from that bondage, if you think about the message behind that we were talking about, and that is that everybody's wanting to do their own selfish desires and their sin nature, it doesn't take you long to start thinking, well, if I want what I want and you want what you want and you want what you want, we're going to have chaos. We're going to have all kinds of problems. And that is what we have. If there's not a central theme of Christ pulling us together, we're kind of stuck on our own things. We want to do it our own way. So loving God and our neighbors, that is difficult because our neighbors may not be saved. Our friends may not be saved. And the issue there is going to be primarily boundary problems, and at the core of it is the people aren't taking responsibility for their actions. The Bible clarifies those boundaries so that we can begin to see who should do what in this labor of love. The Bible throughout, especially the New Testament, is clarifying the boundaries that we need to have so that we know who we are and who we're not and what our role is in this, in this labor of love. In the, in the spreading of the gospel. So that was kind of setting the, a little bit of a precedent about the Bible, about God, and about his intentions. Now let's take a look, a look at two different aspects. We're going to talk about respecting boundaries in general, and then we're going to talk about respect, respecting God's boundaries. God designed the world so that boundaries are to be respected. That was his original design. He respects ours, and we need to respect his. If you think about the original sin, God had told Adam, we're not sure if Adam told Eve, but God had told Adam, do not eat of that tree. He gave him some boundaries. But Adam crossed those boundaries. That was the only one that really that is mentioned that he, that he disobeyed you know, right off the bat. He seemed to take pleasure in naming all the creatures that God had given him and all the work that God had given him. But for some reason, when it came to eating of that tree, and Eve ate first, and then Adam ate because he did not, he told God he did not want to lose her, he knew that it would be eternal damnation, that, he, that they would surely die. So boundaries were an issue in the garden. God had originally designed it so that they were respected. It was man who chose in his free will to disrespect the boundaries. God shows respect for our boundaries by leaving work for us that only we can do. The gospel is our responsibility. Sharing Christ with others is our responsibility. God gave that responsibility to us. His goal was that we would be created in his image, that we would reflect his character, and that through that we would reach other people then in a fallen state that would draw them to him. The other part of that is the loving of one another. That is another part of our, our responsibility. And that is part of our work that he wants us to do. He's given us that freedom. He says, I want you to love each other so that people will know that you know me. That is our responsibility. 
He allows us to experience the painful consequences of our behavior so that we will change. You know, we go back to, we've talked about punishment versus discipline. Um, God wants us to understand that he has set in place a system of law and order. We talked about the laws of boundaries. If we choose to disobey his laws, his boundaries, then we're going to have the consequences of those behaviors. But he allows those painful consequences to get us to realize we need to change. We've gotten off track. It hurts him deeply when we don't change. I don't know if you've really thought about that, but when you choose to continue in sin, when you choose to continue in anger and unforgiveness, it hurts God. That's not the way he originally created you, and that's not what he wants from you. He wants the good for you, because he knows in unforgiveness that is a form of bondage. That is a form of self-hatred. That is a form of self-promotion. And, and, and actually, in some portions, it calls it idolatry. You're putting yourself in his place. It hurts him deeply when we don't change. At the same time, he doesn't run in and rescue us. He wants us to do the work. He wants us to do the work. He allows us to say no and go our own way. You know, He never forces his way on you. He will allow the consequences of our behaviors to cause us to realize we're off target. But he never forces us to say yes to him. It's our choice. When people say no, he allows it and keeps on loving them. He also allows them to experience the consequences of their choice. He respects their boundary. You know, when I was reading through this, I'm sitting here thinking, he's God Almighty. <laughs> if I'm out of line, he could just snuff me out if he wanted to. If I'm creating havoc in my family or in the church because of my sinfulness, he could just take me right out. But sometimes he allows that in order for the negative consequences of my behaviors to bring me right back to him to make, for the realization that I'm choosing to accept him because what I was doing was painful. What I was doing was wrong. What I was doing was damaging others. He allows us to say no, and he keeps loving us anyhow. Some examples of that would be the prodigal son. What did the prodigal... We just heard the message not long ago. The prodigal son asked for his inheritance, basically a slap in his father's face saying, I wish you were dead. Can I have what I have coming to me? And he went off into a world, and we don't know exactly how sinful it was, but we know that he squandered his, his monies. And when he came to his senses, after the money was spent and after he couldn't take care of himself and he was starving, he came to his senses, the painful consequences, he realized, I would just soon be a slave in my father's house. I don't deserve to be called son because I blew all of my inheritance, but my father would love me. That is a portrait of God with us. How many times do we disobey and we go against him? The rich young ruler was another one. In that case, God allowed him, you know, he wanted to know um, what else he needed to do, and Christ told him he needed to sell all that he had and give to the needy. Broke his heart. That's the last we heard of him. He walked away saddened is what it says. My guess is that he did not choose that. God allowed him to make that choice. God prefers an honest no over a compliant yes and we'll go back to the prodigal son versus the second son. What did the second son say after the father celebrated the prodigal son? He said, I've been with you always. You've never given me a fatted calf to, to 
uh, kill and have, have a celebration with my friends. All that time, he had been compliantly saying, yes, I'm here for you, I'm here for you. But when the other brother came back and the father showed love, his anger came forth. And he was not happy. He was jealous. Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says, It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Referring to like the, uh, the, younger, or the second son saying, I love you, saying I'm going to be here, but underneath all the while resenting the fact that the other person has gone somewhere else and spent all their money. Underneath there, there's a feeling of, I would like to have had mine. I would like to have had my celebration. There's jealousy. There's envy. There's the exaltation of himself, not the exaltation of God. Until we can own our own boundaries with God, we can't ever change them or allow him to work with them. You know, the point that I think they're drawing from this second son scenario is that oftentimes in church, with our spouses, with our kids, we're saying yes. You know, I love you, da, da, da. but underneath we're angry. Underneath we're angry at somebody. Maybe it's from the past. Underneath there's this inability that to feel anything because I'm always dealing with my games out here with my front. I don't really know who I am. I don't know what I really feel. I've learned all the do's and don'ts of Christianity so that I look like a Christian. I act like a Christian. I talk like a Christian. But sometimes underneath there's unforgiveness. There's resentment. Why does God allow me to go through this? Why does he allow him to get a, you know, to seem like he's successful or she's successful? Why, why, why? Underneath there's that pride. And it's not that that's necessarily wrong. It's that when it's persistent and we don't let go of it, then it can rob us of our joy, of our love. We need to, be on, we need to honestly own and expose and make our boundaries part of us. We need to honestly, those feelings need to be honestly owned, exposed, and made a part of, a part of us. You know, in working with people, a lot of people who have gone some, through some, some pretty severe trauma when they were younger, and it came from their primary family, what I find is people don't know how to be happy. Now think about that a little bit. If in my home there was a lot of pain all the years of my life, every day of my life there was pain, from the time as early as I can remember until I left home, do I know what joy is? Do I know what a healthy relationship is? Do I know how to love? Have I allowed God to heal the anger that may still be brewing there, the unforgiveness that still may be settling there? Have I allowed God to heal that and change my attitude to one of loving the person who hurt me, to one of loving that individual, knowing that they and of themselves have problems, but God can help me to love them. Underneath individuals who have been through a lot of trauma and a lot of hurt, what you see up front is a wall. This is what I'm going to let you see of me. You're not going to get inside of it. When you get inside of it, there's usually brokenness. There's sadness. There's feelings of abandonment. There's feelings of I didn't have a childhood. I didn't have a relationship with a real parent. I had a relationship with an alcoholic parent or I had a el- relationship with an angry parent. I was having a conversation with somebody close to me the other day and we were talking about that. 
It was interesting how that the older ones in the family became the parents because the parents were too busy doing their own thing and there was a lot of violence so nobody wanted to be around them. And the sad part was the, the older children who became parents and the younger children that they try to protect. Think about that for a little bit. Children trying to protect children. There was no understanding of love. It was safety is what it was. It was all about safety. Doing everything you can to stay at that point of safety. And it, it was really sad because it made us kind of broken. To realize all those years there wasn't love. There was love in action in the sense of taking care of them, but that just confused things even more. Because at any point, the anger and the violence can burst. It just destroys everything that maybe you thought was actually starting to go good. So work became the way to escape. Hiding became the way to escape. Getting involved in something that's not going to take you away from your work, but at the same time keep you away from the parent you can't get along. It's kind of sad that you really don't know what's underneath that wall because you learn to just block it all out. We need to honestly own and expose and make those emotions a part of us and ask God to heal them. Often we feel we cannot express feelings of anger at God, but until we do, we may not be able to feel any of the emotions beneath that anger. You know, we need to be able to get frustrated and say, Lord, I do not understand this. And we'll talk our way through it, kind of like Job did. Job lost everything. Physically hurting. Boils. Painful boils. And he got angry. And God allowed him to be angry. And he allowed him to sit in that anger for a while because he was in a lot of pain. But we're going to get come back to him in a few minutes and look at how God approached Job when he did not come out of the anger. We often fear being honest because it was not safe to express honesty in our earthly relationships. I see that so much in people interacting together, whether it's in the church or whether it's at work. You can just see the boundaries and how that someone can have a good time to a certain point. And it stops. Because I can't trust beyond that point. I'm afraid. I don't know what's beyond that point. I can love to a certain point, but I can't go beyond that because I get, it's just un, it's unnerving. It's unsettling. I don't know what's beyond that. I'm afraid how I'll react. We're afraid of the unexpected because of what we've had in earthly relationships. Psalms 51.6 Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost part. David came to a point in his hurt, in his anger, and he was a man who'd been through a lot of hurt and a lot of anger. He had exalted himself and had to be cast down from his exaltation with the sin of Bathsheba. But he came to the point throughout the rest of his life, and in Psalm 51 when he wrote this psalm, God wants us to be honest where we're at. He wants to hear that we know and that we see that we're sinful. He wants us to know and understand that we need him and rely on him. John 4:23 to 24 Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
John was trying to get us to realize it's the heart matter. It's not going to church on Sunday. It's not going to Chill Zone on Wednesday night. It's not going to CR. Those are actions. They display maybe a result of what we feel inside. What God really wants is when you sing those songs on Sunday and when you read those verses or when you say you're praying for somebody, he wants to know that that's out of genuine heart, out of a genuine relationship with him. He doesn't want just actions. He wants your spirit to relate with his and to worship in that spirit and truth. Like Job wants, Job, God wants honesty in our inner parts, even even if it is anger at him, and then if he can begin to transform us with his love. Like Job, God wants honesty in our inner parts. You know, if you think about it, when you're really angry at God, and I can remember when my mom died, we were all sitting alongside her bed, and we were devastated. I was 23 years old, there were two younger than me, and her body had shriveled up to nothing, and she was just... All she could do to take a breath, and we kept praying, Lord, heal her. Lord, heal her. We couldn't accept that she was dying. I remember right to the last breath praying, you can do it, Lord. You can do it, Lord. You didn't do it. And that took a while to get over. It changes your <clears throat> perception of God is he really love? Does he really care about me? You know what was interesting is he knew I was having all those feelings. And he was patient and he waited for me. He knew I was angry at him. He knew I was angry at the world. Five days later I went back to college and I remember every time somebody would say something about their mother, I would just burst into tears and they're all looking at me like, what did I say? What did I do? Well, it didn't take long to realize, you better deal with this. People don't know how to treat you. You're in your own little world. You're stuck in self-centeredness. You've got to deal with this. So I went and talked to one of the professors. And we talked for a while, and he helped me to understand. He said, you know, Brad, God doesn't ever do everything the way we want all the time. He's got a plan. You need to ask him what the rest of his plan is. And that needs to be your focus, not that he took your mother. Yeah, you've hurt, you're, you're grieving. You're hurting. And you need to go through that. But you really need to look at your anger at God and ask yourself, is it justified or am I just upset she's gone? And it, that's, all, that's what it took. I shouldn't say that's all it took. It took a while to get through that hurt. But underneath all that anger at him, he knew I would come back to him. He put people in place around me, and he was patient. Let's look at God's boundaries. When God says no to us, that is his right and his freedom. And we need to respect, yeah, we need to respect that freedom. We need to respect him in what he does. When we are angry with him for what he does not do, we are not allowing him the freedom to be who he is. When my mom died, I was angry. Because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. You know, you've heard the statement, God's not a genie in a bottle. Well, I was hoping he was at that time, and I was really praying and spending time in the Word, hoping he would, you know, like a bottle, rubbing it. God, heal her. Come out and heal her. 
You know, I don't know all the reasons why it was her time, but I do know that it was her time. And I had to accept that that's God's decision. When we are trying to put him into binds where he has to do something, we are testing his freedom. God, you have to do this. You know, you, you know the situation. You have to take care of them. You have to heal them. God, you have to provide. Who am I to be telling God he has to do anything? I want to read something out of Job. Job 40. And if you go back and look at Job 39, God goes through a whole list of things. Who set the constellations in place? Who put the earth in order? Who made the sun to shine? Who made day and night? Who brings the rain? Who brings the lightning? And then you get over to uh, Job 40, and I think it's verse 8. I'll start with verse 6. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my judgment? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? I've read that a lot of times, but boy, it hit me hard this time. Because of where I'm at in the study and what I'm dealing with. Would you discredit me because you're not getting what you want? That's childlike mentality. Grow up spiritually. Understand that he is God and he has the right to do what he he believes he needs to do. But many times, we'll sulk. We'll pout. We'll be angry. I'm not going to sing for you. I'm not even going to testify for you. Be that way. Have we not done that? I'm not even going to go to church. Take that. I'm not going to sing if I do go. I'll go and go through the actions and get out. Hmm. Underneath all that anger. The basic problem in human relationships is that of freedom. We call people bad because they do not do what we want them to do. We get angry at somebody because they're not acting in a way I think they should. Is it my problem or is it their problem? In this case, it's my problem because I'm placing something on them that I have no right placing on them. I can only adjust my own boundaries to accommodate or to limit the amount of time I'm around that individual if they're in a painful way of behavior. We do the same thing with God. We feel entitled to God's favor as if he has to do what we want him to do. We are his children after all. You know, underneath the prosperity mentality is that prosperity is that thing of if I give and I give and I give beyond my means, God has to bless me. No, he doesn't. <laughs> you should be giving out of a grateful heart. You should be giving because he's, he's asking you to give, not because you're somehow going to manipulate him into giving you more. When God does it, something for us, he does it out of freedom, not because he owes us anything or can can be gilded into it. You know, that's a realization we need to really grasp. When God does something for us, he's doing it because he wants to. Not because somehow I've been pleading and, and putting him on the guilt trip to get it. He gives us because he wants to. Embracing God's freedom allows him 
allows always, I'm sorry, I have a wrong word. Embracing God's freedom always leads to a deepening relationship with Him. Embracing God's freedom. So what's that saying? Basically it's saying allowing God to be who He is and accepting His decisions as there is a bigger plan that I don't see. Accepting His decisions. Maybe He's not going to bless somebody or honor somebody. Maybe He's not going to provide financially in this situation he has something different for us but when we embrace his freedom his right to freedom it always leads to a deepening relationship with him in all of Job's complaining God allowed him to be himself and he did not withdraw his love from him even when Job was angry at him you know if you go back and read through Job you know the first I don't know 8 or 10 12 verses or chapters talk about what he lost but after that, it's, it goes into this lengthy, and I used to think this is the worst section of the Bible, <laughs> because you go through all these arguments from these three friends, and then back to Job, and there it's like you know, your kids bickering. You know, the I don't want to do it. It's your turn to do it. You got to do it. I don't. Want, you must have done something wrong because that, you know, it goes. And that's what I thought I was actually reading. I was like, listen to the way they're bickering. Do they realize how they're coming across? What must God be thinking about all this? And God revealed what he was thinking later on. He was really upset. You know, in all your piety, has anybody even stopped to, to talk to me? You guys all thought you had the answers. Job did nothing wrong. It was just God proving his grace and his love and his patient endurance for us. After Paul pleaded with God three times for healing, the healing that God chose not to give, God revealed to him that he was choosing to give Paul his own presence. In my grace, my grace is sufficient. For in your weakness, I am strong. He was saying to Paul, I am there to make up the weaknesses that you feel and that you have. I am your strength. I am giving you my presence. Do you need more? And Paul acknowledged in several places that it was because of that thorn in the flesh that God kept him grounded in honoring and glorifying God, not himself, because it would have been easy for him to become pretty prideful. In the garden, Jesus pleading with the Father to remove this cup, but concluded, Not my will, but thine be done. Even Jesus respects God's boundaries. On the other hand, God does not want us to be passive either. Some examples of that would be the parable of the widow who pleaded her case to the judge. She kept going back and kept going back and kept going back until the judge gave her what she wanted, mainly because he was tired of her bothering him. And the message behind that parable was, don't ever stop being persistent with God and asking his favor. At Abraham and the angels with Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's just ten, will you not destroy it? God worked with Abraham and helped him to come to a point where he realized that there wasn't even ten. But God worked with him. God's mind changed with each one of those when, when Abraham pleaded, if I can find this many people, would you just not destroy them? 
Jesus healing people that he didn't plan to heal. You know, the, the woman with the issue who came up and touched him, that was not his intent to, to heal her, but she took from him some of his divineness that healed her when she touched his robe with her and in her faith. Jesus with the, with the man whose son had demonic influence. And he was a Samaritan. He was not a Jew. And Christ said, what do I have to do with you, you heatheners? I don't remember the exact word, but the man said, even the dogs eat crumbs from the table of the master. His faith was that if Jesus would just look to him, his son would be healed. And he was. God can change his mind. God can be influenced by our persistent prayers. God wants us to respect his boundaries, but he wants us to, he doesn't want us to withdraw our love when he says no. God wants us to respect his boundaries, but he does not want us to withdraw our love to him when we say, when he says no. You know, how often do we see that in our children? How often as parents do we do it to our kids? After all those years that I took care of you, we put them on that guilt trip. Is that love? That's manipulation. That's guilt tripping. You know, I've slaved for you all this time, and you won't do this for your mother. And then we wonder where our children, even ourselves, get this thing of bartering, but in the wrong sense. Guilt tripping. God is the ultimate responsibility taker. He patiently withholds his wrath to give consequences of behavior a chance towards repentance. When you think about how patient God has been with you, has been with this world, he's been very patient. For a God who cannot stand sin and cannot be in the presence of sin, he has been very patient to allow consequences of behaviors to draw people to him. Very patient. Whenever God decides enough is enough, and he has suffered long enough, he will protect his boundaries with the appropriate response. And I would just go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, times of Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel. There are a number of times when the Lord was very strong and provoked to bring judgment. He lets go of the rejecting people and reaches out to new friends. The example of the rich ruler who sent out the invitation to all his friends to come to the banquet and they all had an excuse. No, we can't. No, we can't. No, we can't. What did he tell his servant? Go into the streets. Invite the paupers. Invite the sick. The lame. Bring them in. We are going to have a celebration. When the high and mighty and the religious re reject God, he lets them go. He reaches out to those who are hurting and who need him, who want him. When we are hurting, we need to take responsibility for our hurt and make some appropriate moves to make things better. And I thought this was an interesting statement because I know my tendency is when I'm hurting, what, what do you do when you're hurting? When something's really bugging you and you're really just upset? 
How do you respond? I would I would say the majority of people will initially go into their own kind of power, their own pity party. This is not fair. I can't believe this is happening. I I'm just I can't believe it. I am so mad at that person for letting me down. I am so mad at so and so because they weren't there. And how long do you stay in that? Instead of doing something to heal the hurt. Make amends with the person that you're hurt at. We would rather sit for weeks, months, and be angry at somebody. A lot of times when we're in our anger and our pout, we're actually sending the wrong messages to those around us because the people we are witnessing to will see it. The people we want to love and help and reach for Christ see it. And they look at us and they say, I don't know if I want this. I don't know if I want that kind of functioning, that kind of anger. Those roommates of mine in college, when I went back after my, my mom died, when I started to process the anger, the hurt, and the grief, I realized they didn't want to be in the room. I'd go to the room, they'd all leave. <laughs> they didn't want to be around me. Why? How do you help somebody who you can't help, who's hurting? I don't know what to say. They're angry. It doesn't matter what I say. They just stay angry. So I just stay away. I change my boundaries. So when I'm doing that, what am I doing? I'm actually hurting myself. I'm getting more and more alone. It's not making the situation better. It's making it worse. I still remember the one roommate after he said something... And I burst into tears and he just looked at me. His eyes were like silver dollars. And he goes, sorry, man. And out the door he went. <laughs> I had upset him so bad. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, you just couldn't let go of it. You wanted to hang on to it. It mean, might mean forgiving someone so that you can begin to feel better about yourself. You letting go of the right to be angry so that you can be happy instead of angry. The gospel brings back, brings things back to their created order. The truth in the order of God. When you look at the New Testament and when you look at the gospel that, that, the, uh, that Christ gave the uh, disciples to spread, the message is that of restoration back to the created order. The original purpose that God created man and woman in the garden. And that was to have a relationship with people who would reflect his character because they choose to. Because they have boundaries that want those choices. That is why we need boundaries. Because he has them. And we are redeemed in his image. God has boundaries. We need to have boundaries. He created us to have boundaries. Boundaries define the two parties in unity. If it's two individuals, my boundaries tell that other person who I am, where I start and where I finish, and that person's boundaries tell me where I start and finish. So boundaries define the two parties in unity. There is no unity without distinct boundaries. If I don't know what upsets you and I don't know much about you, my tendency to step on your toes is probably going to be pretty high. 
Both must know where each starts and ends in order for unity to exist. Now, when you look at the Gospel, and you look at the New Testament, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you look at the Beatitudes and all the other portions of the New Testament, God is putting those boundaries out there and saying, this is how people will know that you love me, if you love one another. This is how people know that there is a God, if you love one another. Boundaries help us to be the best we can be in God's image. They let us see God as He really is. They let us see God as He really is. You know, we are in a human body. We're in a fallen body. So it's going to involve us having a commitment and a love to be in the Word and to allow the Word to change and transform us so that we do reflect God's character. Boundaries enable us to negotiate responsibilities and requirements. There's no way to get around the fact that everybody needs to have, just like we have skin, and you know who Brad is by his skin, and I know who you are by your skin, we need that in our spiritual boundaries. We need people to know what we enjoy doing and what we don't enjoy. If I don't like to be picked on, and it's something that irritates me, then maybe I shouldn't do that. And just because I like to pick doesn't mean I should pick on you if you don't like to be picked on. Just a simple thing to kind of give the example. We need to know each other's boundaries and in our relationship with Christ what those boundaries are. We need to negotiate responsibilities within your boundaries. We need to have, we have requirements that we have to do. Um, we all have to pay taxes. We all have to work. We all have to take care of our families. There are certain things we have to do, so we have to put our boundaries within those requirements. And we'll close with three things. If we are trying to do God's work for him, we will fail. If you think somehow that by praying and going in and telling somebody, here this scripture tells you, you need to do this and this, and we try to play God in other people's lives, it's going to fail. We're getting in the way of what he wants to do. We are to love people and reach out to them, but we should not be trying to play the role of God in their lives. If we are wishing for him to do our work for us, he will refuse. He is not going to do our work. We have responsibilities as believers. But if we do our work and God does his work, we will find strength in a real relationship with our creator. If we respect the freedoms and the rights of each other as well as of God, and that instead of trying to change what he's doing, pray about it and in the process accept that he must have a reason why things are going the way they are. Then he'll have a better chance of showing us what he is doing. Because unless we realize it, when we try to force the issue and bribe God into doing something a certain way, what we're not looking at is his way. We're only looking at what we want. He might be doing something different. Something that has a greater impact. Something to think about. Hopefully this study has made you think about yourself in a way that is healthy. I need to be responsible for what I am responsible for, and that's my own boundaries. I need to be uh, mature about going about my relationships, and if I hurt you, make the amends, not sit in the pain. 
I need to understand that God is doing a work in your life, and it's not my role to do that work. He's doing the work in your life. My role is to do the work he has given me, and that is to reach out with the gospel.